Hey, welcome back to another episode of North and Goal. It's Benji, a.k.a. Alaskutan, Ellis McPickle, and with me, as always, is my trusted and loyal co-host, Jake, a.k.a. the former Mighty Alaskan Ute, a.k.a. Jake Johnson, a.k.a. Kool-Aid underscore Jesus on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I made. That's what I made when when we, one time we were all throwing around all, it was after I think we got some big commit, like some highlighted 480 commit, and everyone's going nuts. And someone kept saying, I'm drinking all the Kool-Aid. And then I took a picture of a, a glass of Kool-Aid right in front of my Christus statue. Just the, That was the background. I just had the pictures for the Kool-Aid. And someone was like, hey, it's Kool-Aid Jesus. So then they just... They so every now and then when the, you, Utah gets good news, I'll tweet something from the Kool-Aid Jesus account. But I love anyway, it. Anyway, I'm Jake. Nice nice to talk to you all. If, if somebody were to reach out to at Mighty Alaska U, is that still active? You still get notifications? Anything with that one? I don't use it. I every now and then I go back to it to look at things I bookmarked because I had so many, you know, posts from three years ago that I wanted to reference back to. So every now and then I'll go back to there because I have a lot of like talks bookmarked too. So I go there for that, and then occasionally when I go back there, just every few days, someone has sent me a DM and I'll respond to that. But I don't, I don't ever tweet from it or follow anyone from it. You got to keep it active too, because people, if you deactivate it, someone else is going to jump on it, and then you've got a new you that you're going to look stupid. They're going to make you look stupid. They did that to um, Lisa Dance Fit. We've got local recruits only out there that has the handle at Lisa Dance Fit, who, as you oh, may really? recall, was the handle for Zach Wilson's mother at a time when she was very active on Twitter, and then she kind of took a step back and then kind of became be kind or go away and had a new persona, not unlike yourself you know just trying to uh-huh. reinvent her online persona but she rather than leaving the other one inactive went away from it and someone grabbed that and uh so yeah you got to be careful yeah that's part of why i don't want to because there's a guy on twitter we know named moose who <laughs> assumes yes. people's identities and he and i have got into it several times and so there is actually is a twitter account out there excuse me that's um it's it's a fake guy pretending to be a utah fan right uh-huh. um and he uses it just to make fun of, like, to, to make Utah fans look bad, right? Yeah. And he, so I don't know how he got this, but he got a picture of me. He must have oh. Googled Utah fan or something. Yeah. And there's a picture of me at a Chiefs game with a flat billed Utah hat. I know and exactly. And he uses who that as his avatar. Yeah. And, like, he is, he is, like, vile and he drops the f-bomb non-stop and so i've tried to get twitter to do something about it because i don't want someone say from my ward or, or work per work associate to stumble upon it see my picture then read all the crap this guy's tweeting and think it's me right yeah but they won't do anything about it because they say it's not a it's not an assumption of identity it's not stealing something i don't know it's frustrating though yeah i know who you're talking about and i'm not gonna reference him because i don't want to do anything to lend him more uh, credibility yeah. or have people go looking for him, but the name he picked is really an obscure part of the rivalry from a long time ago, like maybe eight years ago. That name was significant with some, like an online comment or some. Uh, it's so yes. obscure. I can't even remember what it is, but I was like, wow. And I looked a little closer and saw he used your picture, so I blocked him instantly because you're my guy. You know, you you can't you can't run with that. And I was like, I don't. I think he followed me, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, nah, get out of here with this garbage. You can't take. The picture, like I had to make sure this wasn't you, and it wasn't you, and so I blocked yeah. him right away. I feel like here's the thing: 
people will feel like, okay, I'm weak if I block people or thin skin or whatever. I feel like we as a society online have a moral obligation to block that which is just truly wrong because Twitter is smart now with their algorithm. You have the the uh, hidden replies. And I feel like they automatically do that. They say, okay, here's a guy that like 10% of the people that come across him end up blocking him. His replies will be hidden. And so as a community, we got to do that. We got to block the people we got to block. Yeah, and you know, I actually DM'd him and said, "Dude, please stop using my picture." And he's like, he laughed. He he wrote back like, "LOL" or something like. So he knows what he's doing. Who knows? It could be Moose. You know, it could be the Moose guy. But anyway, so yeah, he's he's very vile, and it's frustrating because I don't like I said want people to to think it's me. But I think kind of on this Twitter topic, I think we all kind of have a Twitter evolution. You know, we all go through Twitter where it's new and it's we're trying to get many followers and it's fun, and then we start interacting, and then we start getting in either disagreements or we kind of go through it, and then at some point people are like this is just not this is too overwhelming. I'm either going to quit or I'm going to make a new account. Or I'm going to change how I do things because I I see people tweet all the time. My man Zogute, shout out our first shout out of the show. Zogute, he's a friend of he's a fan of the show. He's a you know he's a he's a follower of both of us. He's a good dude. He's actually a fellow Bountifulite. Lives in Bountiful. Yeah. With me. Anyway, um, he's he tweeted today that he's like, man, I wish I could quit this place. I think everybody has at some moment that 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 um you know um what's the word I'm looking for, that epiphany that it's like, man, this isn't good for me, what I'm doing. I need to either change what I'm doing or quit. And a lot of people, and bless them, if they have the willpower to do it, a lot of people do end up quitting. And I'm jealous of, of those people that do. You know, there's value in that. We both, uh, you, we come from a religion where we practice from time to time just quitting food for a little bit, you know, the, the principle of fasting. And not just our religion, a lot of religions have that. And I feel oh. like in some ways it's kind of the same principle. If you say, okay, I'm going to demonstrate to myself that I do possess the self-control to live my life without this thing for a while. There's value in that. You get strength from that. You know, you build confidence in yourself and your belief and the cause that you're getting behind with fasting. And so I feel like uh, with a lot of things, I used to do this all the time with Instagram. would be like, all right, I'm going to go seven days, no Instagram at all. And then I'm going to go, you know, you let some time go by. And anytime I found myself getting sucked in, I do it. And then finally one day it was like, all right, I just... There's no Instagram does not enhance my life the way it used to, and so just got rid of it. And it's, it's yeah. and, and I do find myself kind of trying to fill that time. My my Twitter time went way up the week that I got rid of my Instagram. <laughs> so, so I don't know if I Isn't actually made any progress or not. It did. It's funny because for the most part, for the last five summers, I think four of the five, I've quit Twitter during summer because. I mean, that's the ultimate time where you're just talking about nothing, and it's the ultimate waste of time. Right. It's burger fights, it's TV show, <laughs> whatever, rankings, you know, whereas at least sports, it's it's something we're passionate about and there's stuff to talk about. Summer's like the ultimate waste of time, and so I've, I've quit four for the last five summers, and every summer when I quit, I tell myself, you know what, I'm done for good. I don't need this. My life is enriched. I'm seriously, I'm more productive at work, like way more productive at work, but then football comes around, you get that itch to watch highlights, read practice reports, and it just drags you back in. Absolutely. How else would you find out when the newest episode of North and Gold drops, right? Like, we're throwing people off. We we got a new episode on a Friday. We got a new one on a Thursday. Like, each week there's one, but you never know when it's coming. So you 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 can't quit Twitter. We got to keep them on their toes, man. You know, it's like... uh, it's like eating a, a hot fudge sundae. You know, you, you give someone a sundae, you just let them have a few bites, and you pull it away, you leave them <laughs> wanting more. That's what we do. We leave them wanting Man. more by like, hey, it's Tuesday. They're out with an episode, and then bam, they got to wait till the next Thursday. And anyway, we're, we're glad to be back. And, you know, we've, we've been re- talking about Twitter for seven minutes, but this is a football podcast, right? Yes. And it's also an Alaskan podcast. It's a, uh, an Alaskan-based podcast 
football podcast. And that's actually how I'm going to open the show today. Is uh, And the only reason is, in our mailbag, the, the topic of Alaska has been pretty popular. So we don't have a specific question that this addresses this week. But this is a good insight. For the last few years, I've been working in a building that was built in the mid-90s. And it's one thing I love about this dental practice is I'm surrounded by a forest. I've got a road going by, and it's a pretty busy road. But from my building, I can't see any other buildings. And I absolutely love that. We had a rabbit today running through the yard while I was fixing teeth. A couple weeks ago, we had a fox running through. It was like you, you take a break from your root canal like, oh, look at that fox. And it's like the coolest thing in the world. Like this is my dream location to be a, a dentist. It's just here in the middle of the woods. Anyway, my uh, the former owner of this building who I bought the practice from earlier in this year, he had taught me a few times. He said, all right, you're going to show up one morning and it's going to be 20 below and your pipe on the roof will be frozen. And that's the ventilation system for the septic system. He says, here's what you do. You get the ladder, you get up there, and you pour boiling water down it. And so for five years, my duty as the junior associate dentist was the ladder holder. And meanwhile, even though he's like 60, he's like the toughest guy I know, it, it would have been like offensive for me to be like, let me get on the roof. So I just held the ladder while he got on the roof. Anyway, he is in Montana chasing elk right now, trying to, to shoot an elk. So I show up this morning, and it, it smells in the building. And I know instantly... Crap, it was 23 below last night. It happened. The pipe froze up, and it's the, the steam that comes out of this ventilation. It just condenses, and it's almost like heart disease. It just occludes, and then everything gets stuck, and the whole building stinks. So I've got to get this rickety old ladder up there. i got to climb up 15 feet up in the air while I have my dental assistant holding the side of it, and I'm carrying this pot. This, we just got it straight from the fro from the stove. And just setting it on a rung, and then I'd climb up two or three rungs, and then I'd lift it around my face to put on another rung, and then I'd climb up a little bit higher. And then I'd go to set it on the sloped roof so that I can get off of the ladder onto the roof. And I'm like, okay, there's not snow on this side of it because it's under this eave just the way the building was designed. So I set it down, and what happens instantly? Water splashes. And so I've got this water freezing on the spot that I was about to set my foot. It was just, it was an ordeal. And there was one moment when my glove got soaked with the boiling water. And so my fingers, I mean, I'm telling you, even though it was 20 below outside, boiling water on your hand is boiling water on your hand. And so inside this glove, I'm at the top of this ladder saying, man, son of a, you know, just my hand hurts. But if I take my glove off and then my glove stick into the ladder because it's like when you stick your tongue out. Anyway, I successfully got onto the roof. Poured the boiling water in, saw all the steam just poof out like I had just liberated the gases of the building. And then by 11 a.m., everything smelled normal in the building, and I was the hero. And it was funny because it was one of those things where it's like, man, it sucks that you got to do this. But starting out your day doing the hardest thing you're going to do that day is a good feeling. I knew no matter what else I was going to deal with that day, I had already done the hardest thing of the day. And it was just like, I just got amped up. Like I was in this mood, like, yeah, I am legit Alaskan. I can handle this. I got this. It was so cool. So that's, uh, dude. that's, a, that's quite a work hazard, man. You got to climb up on a is. frozen roof to do that. Yes. And only when it's dangerously cold, you know, like yeah. really uh. freezing snow on the roof. I mean, it was a, uh, but yeah, it was a good thing to get out of the way. I'm sure I'm going to have to do it two, three times a year for uh, the next 15, 20 years. So uh, I got the first one down. All right, man. Got it done. Nice work. Well, we've got a uh, we've got a big week for both our teams, don't we? Absolutely, I am so excited big week for this one. Utah is finally opening up their season. It's so weird. We've talked about it week after week, but to watch every other team playing while you're just 
sitting around is so frustrating. I've never, you've never experienced it, you know? Think about a bye week. Sometimes when you have a bye week after a good game, no, oh, I got a bye week, there's no game this week, and you're frustrated. How about do that for eight straight weeks while you're watching other teams play? And it's just, it's so, it was so frustrating. So we finally open up this week, home game against Arizona, and then you have what Greg Rubel called, I think, the biggest game in the history of college football this weekend, didn't he? In, in the history of BYU's football program uh, since 84. Uh, so wait, how did he word it? Maybe I saw something different than what you saw. Oh, I was just being sarcastic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the biggest game in the history of all of college football. No, he said... Uh, I think he put the question out there, you know, it's, and that's a tactic from like journalists be like, isn't it true that? And then you say whatever you want be like, yeah, you're not responsible for putting that idea. Anyway, he put that out there and said, is this the biggest game since 1984? And uh, it could be it, if they win. If they lose, obviously it's not. It has no significance at all if they lose. But, you know, we've got a uh, landmark high ranking. BYU hasn't been ranked this high in a very long time. They have been ranked higher. They've been ranked number one. So you can't get higher than one, right? So we'll never again say this is the highest they've ever been ranked. But they have not been ranked this high in a really long time. And so this could prove to be a very pivotal game in a very historic season. So, I mean, the excitement's in the air. And it's kind of like you and I were talking last last week when we traded roles. And I was saying, like, oh, yeah, the asterisk by it. And you're like, no, man, you just got to own it. You got to enjoy it. That's kind of how I've been feeling more and more is – yeah, there's a lot of detractors. There's a lot of people that are naysayers that will try and diminish the significance. That doesn't matter when you've got the excitement in the air. The excitement is freaking in the air. I love it. I can't wait. I mean, this whole week, you've got, we're recording here on Monday night. I don't know when you'll be listening to it. But from where we are, back in time on Monday night, uh, we've got the big election tomorrow. And then we've got the big game Friday night. And then you've got Utah playing Saturday. I mean, this week, this is an awesome, this is an exciting week. For better yes, or for it is. worse. Um, so two things. One, when was the last time BYU was ninth? Do you remember how long it's been? Uh, I can look it up, but I would venture to say I think they finished seventh in uh, 1995, okay. with a, the year they think, went to the Cotton Bowl. I think if my memory serves me correctly, there was a brief moment in 2009 after you beat Oklahoma to open the season where I think you got up to number nine. For a couple weeks. That's that's what my memory's telling me, but I could be wrong. So yeah, so it's been it could be whether yeah. it's two thousand nine or nineteen ninety five, it's you're right, it's been a long time. I mean two thousand nine, now that you mention it, that's a long time ago. <laughs> two thousand nine. That's like a lifetime ago. I can't imagine having to wait for something from since two thousand nine. That's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> um so I asked you a question, a poignant question, I yes. think, and you said that was a good question. So let's address it. it. I asked you in our private discussions, which are rated not safe for podcasts, so I'll tone it down. <laughs> I said, is this the most excited you have been, Benjamin, since you've gone independent? And your thoughts. Okay, my thoughts. Maybe. And here's why. That's uh, a letdown. Well, no. There, we're we're going to build up. You know I can't ever answer like yes or no and move on. i got to tell a story, uh, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thinking about the best steak I ever had. When I was a teenager, we used to go camping with the young men in like way up in the mountains around the Uinta Mountains, sometimes in Wyoming, find a place and we go camp for seven days, right? Or however long. And I happened to be uh, in a group of young men, I'll just say it, in a ward <laughs> with the, the, the leadership was an amazing cook. And so we would go camping in the middle of nowhere, no cell service. Well, no, it was back then. No one had phones anyway. But, you know, we're isolated. We're out there. 
And it was some amazing gourmet meals night after night after night. And I'll tell you what, after a whole day of fishing and hiking and camping and swimming in a lake and doing whatever you want to do in the woods, when you sit down around a fire and eat a steak and you've got the plastic fork and plastic knife on the paper plate that you're cutting through, I mean, it's there's, there's just nothing like that. Like that steak was the most amazing steak I've ever tasted, and I can go the whole rest of my life and eat at the finest steakhouses in the biggest cities. I'm not going to supersede that experience because it, it just wasn't the same. I hadn't built up the appetite of a teenager with that metabolism and that kind of, you know, being surrounded by the forest and the smells and the lake and all that. So the circumstances in which I was consuming the steak greatly influenced my perception of the steak and how it tasted. So... With that background, I will tell you that I am having the time of my life because it has been a heck of a year. Not for me. I mean, it has been for me. It has been for everyone. Some of my personal stuff, I'd mentioned, you know, I bought the dental practice. I buy a business that I sink more money than, than I would, uh, would want to admit here. I went into a significant amount of business debt to get the building, to get the practice, to kind of get my dreams here up and running and coming true. And then what happens? Economic shutdown, you know? And then I'm worried about, Maybe my patients are going to die. Maybe I'm not doing enough to keep them safe. I mean, these are the things that keep you awake at night like you wouldn't believe. It's been a crazier. We make the decision to homeschool our children. You know, we've got this and this and this going on. And then you've got loved ones that you know that are catching the disease, that are elderly, that are vulnerable. I mean, this year is a nightmare for so many people. And then you have something like this where you say, hey, I can watch Zach Wilson drop a dime from 62 yards, I have it written down in last week's notes, from 62 yards out where he gets hit right after, Dax Milne is under pressure and still makes the catch. And you say, in that moment, the world is right. Everything is awesome. I don't care that it's Texas State or whoever it was that week. I don't care that Ute fans aren't impressed with him. You say, in that moment, I am having the time of my life. So this is me being hungry for good news, for being hungry, for entertainment, for something to cheer me up, to lift my family's spirits, and BYU is delivering. So in that sense, absolutely. I've never had more fun in independence. Gotcha. Okay, well, that's that's quite an analogy and a good buildup. So what you're saying is you enjoy a sizzler steak in a Ziploc bag uh, versus <laughs> going to Ruth's Chris is, is what, because it's the experience. You were hungrier. So right now you're hungry for that Sizzler steak, is what I, you're saying. I, I have you. never been to Ruth's Chris, but but I can I've heard enough about it to appreciate where you're coming from. That yes, the uh, it's how much you enjoy the steak doesn't depend 100 percent on the steak. It depends a lot on you, you know. And gotcha. and so and it maybe you might see what I'm talking about, you know, because I would imagine Ute fans have been in a very similar experience. If you get an ugly win versus Arizona that you're supposed to blow out of the water, but there's a few highlights. You might not be all, you know, depressed over it. You might say, you know what? I don't care. That was fun. That was respite. And it might be yep. that because of who you are this year, you appreciate that game so much more. Okay. So that, that kind of answers my second question, which I was going to follow up with after are you having the most fun in your life. And so it's, it's more about the fact that you are hungry by the campfire eating the steak versus the actual steak itself. So the, the experience is better. So I was going to follow up with, well, if this is the most fun you've ever had, then why would you not want to schedule this way every year, right? Because that's the discussion point. That's right. I mean, Patrick Kinahan wrote an article about it. It's been talked about. You don't listen to local sports talk radio here, but yeah, they talk about it here. The question is, should BYU schedule 10 wins every year with a couple tough games? Because 
that's what it that's what the, what they're asking. And so if you're just saying the reason you're enjoying this so much is because the surrounding situation has led you to enjoy it versus no, you don't want to be sitting by the campfire eating a, a, a steak like that every time the rest of your life, but it because of in the moment that's what you wanted. And it right. feels it feels good. Absolutely. If I'm if I'm sitting out, you know, thirty nine years old, North Pole, Alaska, just sitting in my kitchen and you can bring me a steak from one location to the other location. Now that being said, this guy was such a good cook, I'd probably still take his steak over the over the expensive one. But no, yeah, you pick the better steak. And so that with that in mind, when I analyze all of independence, no. The the highlights for me, there was never a whole season where I'd say that's the season to point at as to why independence is a good idea. BYU has one top twenty five finish in independence independence and it was their second year you know so uh, you don't look at the season and say that's why you look at the moments and you say that's why and i'll tell you as a byu fan analyzing my whole fandom the whole thing uh, if i look at the top 10 moments of being a byu fan many of them have come in independence uh nebraska hail mary you know that finish the uh Mitch Harper catching the Hail Mary touchdown from Tanner Mangum. That's one of the top 10 moments of being a BYU fan that doesn't happen when you say, let's schedule 10 wins every year. You know, Mitch Matthews. Oh, what did I say? You said Mitch Harper, the KSL reporter. (laughs) I know know for a fact it wasn't him. (laughs) Mitch Harper. I got my uh, Mitch's confused. Man, he would love that. That, I mean, who wouldn't love that? no, and you got the times that we blew out Texas when Texas was still a pretty big name brand. Uh, I was there in person for the Mississippi State double overtime game. I mean, and Ute fans don't want to hear this, and I know you don't want to hear this, but the things we love about independence are very much similar to, and I won't say the same thing because they're not the same thing, but they're very similar to what you love about the Pac-12, and that is chances week in, week out to play against the best. You, you love that, right? Yep. And, and and you missed your two your two your two best moments since independence. You you rattled off a bunch. Your yeah. two best, which your, your fan base enjoy the most. Mm. One, Oregon beating Utah in the Pac-12 title game, <laughs> and two, and two, Kalen Clay dropping the ball at the one yard line. Those have been the two best things that happened to you. <laughs> yeah, those were great moments. Okay, when you said two best, I automatically thought beating Wisconsin at Wisconsin when they were ranked number six, which is, I mean, that's that was an epic, amazing, unforgettable day. And then beating USC when they were ranked in the top 25 in Provo. I mean, that was an amazing day. And so that's, that's the thing. You can appreciate You've had those moments, too, in the Pac-12. The one thing we're missing is the chance to be there in the conversation in the conference title. And yes, I wish we had that. Do I wish we were in the yeah. conversation for the Mountain West conference title? No, that's me editing my response for our young viewers that are tuning in. No, I have no interest in something we've done over and over and over again. We have a lot of Mountain West trophies. We don't need any more. Now, we've talked in the past about, yeah, maybe the American, that might be exciting. I don't think I would turn down the American because they've got a lot of quality teams that they didn't used to have, and that's a trophy we've never run before. But no, obviously, the ultimate goal is get into a P5 conference. Yep, there's two things I want to – you brought up the Wisconsin game as one of the highlights. Do you remember we recorded our podcast at 2 in the morning after that game? Because <laughs> Utah had just lost to Washington at home. Yes. And it was like a late game. We lost 21-7. to 7. Um, We had a chance to – there's a lot of – anyway, I'm not going to recap that game. But bottom line is I texted I was like, let's record right now. And uh-huh. I, I, you're like, okay. So I drove to my, my, my uh, shop, my soda flow shop. And we recorded at two in the morning, and I was so angry. You remember that? <laughs> well, it's so it's that. so often, and this is what makes social media just nightmare situation to be in. So many times, our fan bases are just at polar opposite ends of the spectrum, and that's coming up again in a few weeks. Utah's biggest game of the year is against USC. Who does BYU play that week? 
North Alabama, their weakest by far opponent of the year. So we're setting ourselves up already for it to be just kind of uh, people not getting along with each other because Utah's either going to be on the highest of highs or they're going to be irritable. And BYU's, they're yep. going to win, and they're going to win by a lot, but people are going to discredit that because of who they're playing. And so, I mean, we're just, you can see it coming right now. People, just don't yeah, it, fight that day. You know right now that's coming. Just not, just don't, okay? Just well, don't. You said, you, said, you said a minute ago, you said, and you don't care that you fans don't think you're good. I, I can tell you what, most fans haven't gotten to that point yet. But if you can, and, it, and sometimes I fall back into it, if you get to the point where you literally don't care what the other fan thinks, because like last year, it's, again, you say polar opposites. Last year, Utah's destroying teams, marching through the Pac-12, we hear, oh, Arizona's not good. They suck. Oh, Colorado sucks. Oh, UCLA. Look at all these stupid, easy teams you're beating, you know? And and that's, I mean, that's just, the, that's a rivalry, dude. Right. That's what you do. The the rival tries to downplay any success that the other team has because it, they're your rival and it affects you, right? So yeah. So I get it, man. Well, here's the point so. of clarification on that. In the moment, you don't care. In the moment when that touchdown is scored and you're losing your mind, Everything else falls by the wayside because you're experiencing pure joy and you don't care that somebody thinks you have a weak opponent. In the moment, it matters. Three days later, when you've got some high school prep recruiting publication saying, it drives me crazy how people don't see that BYU is such a fraud. that they are. That, I mean, that kind of thing can get under your skin where you're like, all right, dude, come on. Like, If we want to debate the finer points of how legitimate their schedule is, we do that. But like, calm down, you know? Like, It, it really – I mean, it's still – Years and years into this whole social media thing and watching football and, and interacting with opposing fans, it can still irritate me. Like I still, I sometimes have to just walk away and be like, "This guy might have like mental issues, like a disorder that I don't realize, and so maybe I should give him a break." You know, <clears throat> and that's the best way yeah. to look at an argument is like, I, I, <laughs> I might not be uh, arguing with somebody who's as smart as I think they are right now. It is. So go ahead and ask me my question you had for me. Yes. Okay. So. Why? Oh man, how did I word it? Why is it? We've been talking, we spent a lot of time last week talking about how the strength of schedule is what it is. Quick update on that, because I said I would keep everybody posted on that, right? Do I have time for the update to precede the question? Please do, yes sir. Our Sagarin rankings have changed. Uh, BYU last week uh, had the 60, an average opponent rating of 64 on the Sagarin schedule for only considering the top six opponents because Utah only has six guaranteed opponents. So we're limiting this to the top six opponents. BYU strength uh, was average strength of 64. Utah's was 59. They have both shifted. Everybody that Utah has on their schedule just fell a few spots because that's what happens when you don't play. And so they are now an average of 63 and BYU's opponents are now an average of 55. So as of right now, in the Sagarin rankings, BYU's weak schedule that everybody diminishes like crazy is substantially stronger, at least in the eyes of Jeff Sagarin, than the schedule that Utah will play. So with that in mind, my question is, it's not just Jeff Sagarin and his computers. There is a narrative out there that the Pac-12 is weak. And so what my question was, is what led to the downfall or the perceived downfall of specifically Arizona, Colorado, and UCLA? And do you see that turning around anytime soon? And how do you feel? Are they truly weak? How do you feel uh, with them as your opponents? Well, you know, I did a little bit of, I have some sticky notes to go across here because you gave me me a heads up that you're going to ask that question. 
Basically, see, I like to give the answer and then explain why, whereas you have your story to build up to it. <laughs> yeah, give us the answer. I think I think basically what it boils down to is the perception that they are terrible when it's not really fair because they're being compared against other P5 power teams. I look at the recruiting, okay? I broke down the recruiting. Let's just start let's talk about recruiting, okay? I went back since the beginning of the Pac-12, right? So 10 years. I thought that was a good, a good gauge to go from there. Last 10 years... I broke down their recruiting classes and the three teams you mentioned, Arizona, Colorado, UCLA. I also included Utah and BYU just to give you kind of an idea of what we're comparing it against. Right. So the average recruiting class ranking, which there are a couple of things that surprised me. I was surprised at how well UCLA actually recruits. They do so much less with so much more, whereas teams like Utah do more with less. Anyway, UCLA's average recruiting class ranking is 22 since the Pac-12 started, the 22nd best in the nation. Um, Arizona's average class ranking is 47. Colorado's is 55. Just for comparison's sake, Utah's average class rating is 40. And BYU's average class rating is 69, right? Okay. So that's as far as recruiting. They're still recruiting in the top 40 to 50, those bad those bad teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I went and just pulled BYU's schedule and their recruiting rankings just to get an idea of, of these teams that you're talking about are better than the, the Pac-12 teams. Right. Um, you, you have a team like... Well, I'll just I'll just name it. Navy's average one hundred and seven. Troy ninety. Um, um, Louisiana Tech one hundred four. Texas San Antonio one hundred three. Texas State one seventeen. Eastern Kentucky ninety. And then you have Houston, who is the best of your team so far at sixty seven. So the best team is sixty seven, and the rest are ninety or lower. Okay. Right? So as far as the recruiting rankings go, then I was like, okay, well, how do these guys develop players? Do they turn into NFL talent? Do they win a lot? So I went and looked at NFL draft picks since the Pac-12 started. Uh, of the four teams you mentioned, plus Utah and BYU, just to give a comparison's sake, Arizona's had 13 picks. Colorado's had 17 picks. U- um, Utah's had 33 draft picks. UCLA's had 37 draft picks. And BYU's had six draft picks in the Pac-12 era. And then I just pulled the teams you guys have played just to get an idea. Navy, three. Troy, three. San Antonio, two. Texas State, two. Houston's had 11. Western Kentucky's had 10. And Louisiana Tech had 14. So we're they're significantly getting better talent coming in based you, on these rankings. Two, sorry, two four, what, seven sports. What was the Boise State's? Did you say them? I have. I just did the teams you've played. Oh, okay. I've already played. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Um, so, so they're significantly higher rated classes and they're putting in a lot more NFL talent. The problem is, and here's what I believe, and a lot of BYU fans won't want to believe this, you're playing, UCLA is playing nine other P5 teams in their league. They're playing USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon, uh, Colorado's playing Oregon, Utah, Washington, all these other teams. And so the, the losses add up. So when you're comparing, oh, that's a bad team, it's because they're playing other good teams as well. So I personally am 100% confident if any one of those teams you mentioned, Arizona, UCLA, Colorado, were to play your Sagarin-rated schedule, they'd be 7-0 and also, maybe 6-1 and at worst. And that is what I'm... Come at me, Benjamin. I'm sticking by that. <laughs> I agree. And that's why I am so freaking excited because this is BYU's first real... Well, no, this is their second opportunity to shine. Honestly, it's their third. I'm going to keep digging this hole deeper. This is their third opportunity to shine. Now, in hindsight, the first one wasn't so great. So game season opener against Navy. Navy that finished in the top 25 last year and typically finishes around then. That felt 
like a time to shine. You know, I mean, yeah, they don't recruit great because they're Navy. You have to sign up right. to be in the Navy they're an afterwards. Asterisk. Yeah, they're, right. I I I I hesitated even bringing up their recruiting yeah. ranking because that. That's no fair, right? But, but, to, but yeah. they've got a system that works, and to be in the conversation near the top of the AAC year in, year out, that's no gimme. You know, so that game one was an opportunity to make a statement, and boy, did they ever. Now, in the hindsight, looking at it, it was like, well, yeah, maybe they're practicing a little differently than other teams, and maybe that wasn't as significant as it seemed. And so then you got second opportunity to prove themselves at Houston, and they did. They did everything that was asked of them. They faced some adversity. They overcame that, and it was an amazing game. And time will tell where Houston finishes. I think they're going to be maybe top four in their conference, which is still decent. You know, they may be right now, let's see. They went from 38 to 56. You know, I expect they'll come up from that. I think when all is said and done, they may be around the 40th best team in the country, you know. But be way you handle them the way you should handle the 40th best team in the country is you overcome the adversity and, and you do great. Uh, Boise State, they started off at 27 on Sagarin and they are now up to nine. So BYU being the number six best team in the country, according to Jeff Sagarin, not me, a BYU fan, is playing the number nine best team in the country, according to Jeff Sagarin, not me, a BYU fan. And I think this is their chance to say, all right, we can silence everybody. And we won't. You know, if you hate BYU, you're going to keep hating BYU after this week. So I'm not under the impression that we're all going to be converted after this. But this is a chance. And this is why I am so, I'm chomping at the bit, which you spell C-H-A-M-P for chomping at the bit, but you pronounce it chomping like O. And Al Michaels got that wrong on, on the Sunday night game. He said champing at the bit. And I don't think you can uh, actually say, are you supposed to say champing? Have you ever heard someone say champing? No, unless they're making a mistake. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, not... it's spelled that way. That makes me think he's got writers for him, you know? He does. He probably does. Well, you know what? I mean, yes, here's the thing is this game really is, like you said, it's your biggest It's your biggest chance to date because you're at Navy, but you can't you can't go on last year's records. You're saying Navy was good last year, but they're three and four this year. Right. Houston's two and two, so they're not quite. And I, I tweeted this earlier. I said, is BYU good? Yes, I think BYU's good. You don't handle every team like this unless you're good and i use the fact that they lost to crappy teams in the past so yes i think they're good i'm not disputing that at all the question is how good though right because not only not only the the five te- or the seven teams you've played um you know g- just don't, not p5 based you know we, t- we brought that up they're not p5 but they're they're all barely above or below 500 in some cases they're terrible one and seven so they're not none of them are great g5 teams so is BYU good yes you you very well could be the f- Top four team in the country. I'm not saying you're not, but not. at this we're point, not. I'm saying it. we're it's, it's not. It's hard. It's hard to say though. It's hard yeah. to say because, uh, you, like I said, you take those teams that say UCLA, who recruits in the top 25 and has had 37 NFL draft picks, they they haven't performed very well on the field in the Pac-12. But you put them in that schedule where they're playing teams that are three and four, four and four, three and five. You know, G5 teams. I guarantee you, UCLA for sure would be seven and zero. So is BYU good? Absolutely. Are they amazing? I guess time will tell on this one. I Here's where I think I'll take a little bit of a disagreement there. UCLA is a name brand, storied history, all that. If you put them up against Houston, the, the Houston team that we played, I think Houston gets that one, and here's why. You get up for that game. 
You know, and it's the same reason, like that's the argument of, oh, Boise State, they get two or three or maybe one or two P5 wins every year because they get up for that game. And it's easier to then beat the rest of the people that are that G5 level when you only have to really get up for one or maybe two games. You know, and I get that. That's the P5 versus G5 argument. And that's why people are saying, okay, the way BYU has engineered those schedules, when you look at the week after playing four P5s in a row, even when they're playing a G5, that gauntlet of four tough teams, that takes a toll on you. You know, So yep. you put Houston up against UCLA if UCLA is running the schedule. I think Houston gets them. You know? And I do feel like with all the recognition BYU is getting this year, I, we're getting everybody's best shot. I mean, you could tell in the Western Kentucky game, they were there was cheap shot after cheap shot. There was personal foul penalties. They were their heart was in it. You know, they, they were wanted they that. were. I was surprised at how undisciplined they were, though. There were a couple like egregious, stupid, stupid. Yeah. I mean, I think they had five personal fouls, dude. If, if that's ridiculous, get your. I mean, you can be up for it, but don't don't do stu- a lot of the Absolutely. stupid stuff they did. Well, and you saw what I saw when they pointed out they're not an undisciplined team. When you look at their history this year. They're pretty disciplined. They don't have a history of, of tons of penalties. Like, you get some teams that are just, like, kind of thugs, you know? They, they Like, the last chance you type of team, and, and they're just very undisciplined, and they all get into the brawl and this and that, and they're, you know, they're just trash-talking and all that. That's not Western Kentucky. They they do not have a ton of penalty yards on the, on the season, uh, but they sure got a lot against BYU. And then the other thing I noticed, when you watch the way someone plays, when they would get past that first line and they're getting close to the secondary, the explosive with with which they played the way they would do the spin moves and I mean they they played the style to me seemed violent and I haven't watched any other games from them, so I don't know if that's normal but man it just seemed like they were really playing with heart and I think that is what BYU is getting and I think that's what UCLA would get if they ran the same schedule and I think someone gets them even uh University of Texas San Antonio you know, they got a decent quarterback that came in that transferred from LSU. Well, if you get a quarterback, I mean, there you return to your recruiting rankings that you love. You got someone who had an offer and a scholarship from LSU, and he's now the UTSA quarterback. I mean, that's a P5 quarterback, right? So he's good. Yeah, yeah. And then you had just the way they were playing was with so much heart. Like, I legitimately thought they were going to get us that game because the watching the game unfold, it was inspiring. Uh, but, you know... Praise be to God, you know, but, but I'm trying to try to be clever and come up with the other. Anyway, uh, yeah, BYU managed to uh, gut out that win. Yeah, I, I mean, I hear you. We're obviously, and that's the beauty of this podcast, is we see things from two different perspectives, and we're admittedly biased towards our perspective, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, you, you talk about the Utah-BYU rivalry being one of the most heated in the nation, right? You've got... You and I, a Utah rep, you, a BYU rep, going at it, we're going to have different opinions. Yeah. So I, I, I see your point. I still disagree. You talk about you talk about UCLA would lose. I mean, that's the thing is is being on both sides. I remember in the Mountain West days when we went undefeated two, those two years, I was so frustrated the national media. like I'm like, dude, look at us. We've got... We're going through the Mountain West. We beat Michigan. We beat uh, Oregon State from the Pac-12. And, and I never could understand why they wouldn't just say, hey, that's just as good as... Uh, uh, so-and-so in the Pac-12 or whatever. Right. But now that I'm on this side of it, and I uh, granted my, my biases have changed, but in the Pac-12, when you are playing nine straight P5 games, if you have an off week, you lose to Arizona State by two touchdowns because they have so much talent. They're putting people in the NFL. Whereas in the Mountain West Conference, you have an off week like Utah did in 2008. You beat New Mexico 13-10. to 
right? right? Right. That's just the difference. That's just the difference. We had an off week then in 2008. We won 13 to 10. If that happens in the Pac-12, you lose by two touchdowns, and that's that's kind of the thing that I see from this side that I didn't take into account before. Um, but dude, again, being your perspective, you absolutely should feel you need every opportunity because you you can only play who you play, right? Well, it's not your fault. There was a global pandemic. You had a good schedule lined up, and so so far you're seven and zero. If I were in your shoes, I'd be saying the same thing. Here's, here's what I really think, and this is what's unfortunate about this schedule, is if I'm going to say I'm going to completely ignore anything I've seen from any opponent and just focus on what BYU, the players, have shown me and where I think they'll be, I think under normal circumstances, and that's not even saying this year's schedule, because this year's schedule that was proposed was not a normal schedule. It was tough. I mean, they had a lot of really good teams stacked up in order. So if you give them an average schedule, if you put this BYU team in an average Utah schedule or put them in like TCU's average schedule of like what a normal P5 year should be, I think this BYU team likely deserves to be between 20 and 25. I think that's where they would fall. I think they've made that much progress from where they had been in the past. I like what I see. And so much of that relies on the shoulders of of Zach Wilson doing what he's doing. I think with his talent, with everything else around him, this is likely a top 25 team, but probably not a top 20 team. Uh, The problem is... I can give it that. The, how would they how would they land there with this schedule? You can't. If they lose, I mean, maybe if they lose a close one to Boise and Boise blows everyone else out of the water and BYU wins out after that, maybe they settle in at 23. But I think it's likely top 10 or out of the top 25 for BYU this year just because of the nature of this schedule. You know what I think um, of the two watching, watching both teams? I actually think the harder game is San Diego State. Yeah. I, I, I think they got, they've got a, a, a running back who transferred from Nebraska that ran all freaking over Utah State, and he looked awesome. I just think they got a lot of team speed. I think you're. I honestly think the tougher game is going to be San Diego State. They're they're better than people are giving them credit for. But um, good. I I forgot what on I that. Was going to say. Well, you're you're right. So I admittedly I've, I've watched three minutes total of San Diego State playing, and uh, and so I, I don't have enough to judge on them on the eye test. But looking at their numbers, they went Sagarin from 65 to 25 and is a huge reason that BYU's strength of schedule just took a giant leap this week is both Boise State and San Diego State took a, a big leap. So we now have uh, Boise State at 9, and then San Diego State is the number 2 game at 25, and then Houston way back at uh, at 56. So those are the top three games. So, it, yeah, maybe there's a chance to make a statement late. And then the other thing on that that we're all hoping for is Tom Homo said early on, no, we have 10 games lined up, but by no means is this finalized. And as things evolve, we'll be looking for more. So hopefully, and this is the thing. Well, I mean, did you have Army, dude? I mean, Army's, yeah. Army was one game that canceled. They're good. They've They're only good. lost, I think they've lost one, right? They're six and one, yeah. from what I could, what I remember. So, yeah, you should get that back on the schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we both like numbers. You like Sagarin. I'm not a fan of Sagarin for obvious reasons because it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't help my arguments. Right. I, I'm more of a fan of, of ESPN's FPI, you know, All ESPN's right. Football Power Index. Yeah, let and, me hear uh, them. So when, you, when you're talking about um, Utah's schedule being ranked worse than BYU's schedule, according to FPI, which – uh, I just think it's the best. <laughs> the best. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, BYU average... fans love ESPN. You don't have to convert us to ESPN because ESPN <laughs> loves BYU. So let's hear it. What yeah. does ESPN say? So with uh, with the FPI, the average – I'm just taking the games you've played so far. Okay. Obviously, well, this will, this will right. hurt the argument because <laughs> you haven't played Because our two best games are still ahead of us, but let's hear it. 
Yeah. Well, I, I got in the mode of, of doing the recruiting because we had brought up the games you played already. <laughs> yeah. I, I could go. I'll go back and do it later. Hey, that, this podcast is is like a living, breathing document. It we is. can update it, it each uh, each each game. Anyway, according to FPI, of the seven teams you've played, the average FPI rating is ninety five. Ninety five. Because Navy's ninety seven, Troy's eighty four, Louisiana Tech is ninety nine, San Antonio's one eleven, Texas State's one sixteen, West during Kentucky's one hundred nine. Whereas Utah's average. Wait, yeah. Is, who has Utah played so far? Um, of the we've played our, our practice, we've played the Utah <laughs> defense and the Utah offense. So oh, according to that, we are our average is twenty three because we're like tw- uh, twenty three in the FBI. So yeah. you're right. This is this is this is not apples and oranges because I haven't included the whole way. But I just we anyway. Utah's will be fifty four. Um, their yeah. average is Arizona fifty nine, UCLA fifty five. Uh, Arizona State 53, OSU 71, Colorado State 7. The outlier is USC. They have USC at 11. Yeah. So if you throw that out, if you throw out USC because it's such an outlier, then the average is 61. Um, yeah. But anyway, so the thing is, the, the whole point of that was you and I can both find stats to support our argument. You right. use Sagarin. I use FPI. I wish we could just play each other. Oh, that yeah. Would always, I, that resolves you, it. Yeah. That's how... That's how you resolve it. Just play each other on the field. I, I got it. And here's the thing. I'd get killed for saying this, but I say it anyway. This is our year. We would have beat Utah, you, right? Like, you got to believe that. If you're a real BYU fan, you got to believe that. You got to believe that. So you can't come after me and be like, BYU fans are so delusional. I, of course I am. I'm a fan. I got to believe that. Yeah. Now, that being said, Obviously, if I was betting, you that. I, I would never bet on them until they actually do it. But, oh, my goodness. Now, that's yeah, a you, good you do have to feel that way because you're you're looking good and we are replacing everybody. Everybody. However, being a Utah fan, knowing how the rivalry's gone, knowing who our head coach is and the talent we have on the field, add that together, I think Utah wins. But here's, I guess we won't know until next year. Here's a thought question I'm gonna surprise you with. This is this is where my mind goes when you talk all those numbers of recruits coaching. Um, so you got a chance. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the reins of a program that you are uh, apathetic to. Give me the most average college football program out there. Uh, uh, say Oregon. I mean um, Oklahoma State. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Perfect. You are now. You've you happen to sit on a flight with that rich, weird, charismatic owner of the university president T, T Boone Pickens, the the, yeah. the sponsor. Yeah, the sponsor. Yeah, not you. Don't own a state. He he probably does own the state. Um, T Boone Pickens has now said, "All right, Jake Johnson is my guy. He's the head coach." Now you have in this hypothetical scenario access to one of these. You can't have both, and so you're rating in the top 10th percentile or or 90th percentile. You know, like either the best or the worst. Are you going to get the best recruits and the worst coaching staff, or are you going to take the best coaching staff and the worst recruits? Like, and, and not absolute worst, but like tenth percent and ninetieth percent. Where are you going to put your uh, your emphasis in this program? Like I've said in the past, it's all about the Jimmys and Joes, man. I mean, coaching I think in college is bigger than coaching in the pros, like more more impactful. But if you have the worst players in America, I don't care. Nick Saban's not going to coach them up, you know. There, you can you, you need you need good you need the best players. I look at okay. Here's an example. I don't think Ed Orgeron's that great a coach. Okay, he coached at, at Ole Miss and he didn't have success there. He took over at USC interim. And then they won a bunch because they have so much talent. Then he goes to LSU, was so-so for a while, and all of a sudden they have like 15 NFL guys and they blow the world apart last year. One right. year later, they're terrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think 
he had be- way better players last year, which made him look like a better coach, in my opinion. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's funny because I was thinking you could make him as the argument for why you would want better of each because you could say, imagine how good they'd be if they had decent coaches, you know, or you could you could say, like, the players made the difference, so that's why they were successful. So, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, and you know, you go back and forth on this one. When it comes down to USC, that's what's so frustrating is Utah's won the South two years in a row. We've won three of the last five, if you count the co-South title, which I do because I like padding our stats. Um, and so... The problem is, though, one day USC is going to freaking remember their USC, right? Yeah. We've been doing this while USC has been coached by Ed, by Steve Sarkeesian, um, Lane Kiffin, and Clay Helton. Heaven forbid if USC gets Urban Meyer next year, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, at that point, it's like, it's USC's work. I mean, dude, USC has all the talent in the world every year, but they don't have good coaches. And that's 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 another example, right? Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It's you know, I can see both sides, but to me anyway, if if you have the best players, you're going to have a better chance to win than having the worst players with a, a good coach. Yeah. I I like thoughts? well, I don't know cuz I look at Navy and Ken Niomatulolo as the the poster team for it's all about the coaching staff not about the players cuz they rarely if ever put anyone in the league, you know? They're not landing five stars, but like I say their average AP finish in the last decade, it's it's probably not in the top 25, but it's awful close. You know, so you're taking these nobody and because of your uh, the the system that you put in place, your style of coaching, your your just your brilliance as a coach, you're doing way better with that. And so I'd look at that as a success story. Of course, for every one that has the recruiting profile in the '90s like he does, there's just as many, if not way more, failure stories. You know? Yeah, so- absolutely, absolutely. He's he's definitely coaches them up to be a good competitive team. But to me, that would be almost more frustrating. Like I want to be the best, man. I don't care about being 28. I want a chance to win the freaking national championship, which I know I'll, I'll likely never get in my life. But like, I look at teams that do, and it just makes me depressed because I want one time to taste the best of the best, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean it, that'd be. It's like, ugh, dude, I don't know. It'd be like being born a Utah State fan. Like, <laughs> you, I guess you're passionate for your team, but you're never gonna mount to anything, you know. And so I want that shot at the championship. I want the best players. And maybe despite the coach, they can win it, you know? You know, I'll speak to that a little bit because this actually comes to a question um, I was going to address later on. Let's jump into the mailbag before we tackle uh, Boise State predictions and preview and Arizona predictions and preview. We got a question in the mailbag from Zogute, at Zogute, who you'd mentioned earlier. Said, how did we each become fans of our team? What solidified it? And the first great memory of our team. So something along those lines. Since I brought it up, I've been thinking about it. I'll go ahead and go first. And we've we've addressed this in the the, uh, the podcast in the past about um, I'd, I'd mentioned my father went to uh, BYU's law school, and so I think if I were to trace back like the moment even before I was born that that led to the events that led to my fandom, it was my dad deciding that BYU law school was where he was going to go. Uh, and I think, you know, as I look back, had he gone to the U, I'd be sitting here a Ute fan today because I think that was the first domino that led to me being a child with BYU football games on in our house. And then from there, it was the memories of, of watching with him and watching with my grandpa, who's since passed on, and my brother and my uncle. And we'd pass around the cookies that grandma had made, and we'd be sitting there in the basement in Brigham City. And and that was some of the just best. I mean, that's that's what you remember. That's life. That's my childhood. And you can't, no matter 
who offers you to go to their college later on, you don't overcome something like that. I mean, that's just ingrained. And so I found myself coming out of high school. It was pretty good academically. I got a decent scholarship to BYU, but it was not a full tuition. I got nothing from Utah State. They offered me nothing. And then I got a full ride to Rexburg. So I went to Rick's College and then uh, found my way uh, to Utah State a couple years later on a decent transfer scholarship. So uh, because I was just chasing the money and I didn't want to pay for college, I ended up a Utah State Aggie for my junior and senior years. So finding myself in that environment of course, I'm cheering for the team. Of course, I'm saying, yeah, I grew up a BYU fan, but I'm here now. You know, thank goodness they never played in football during the time I was there because that would have been an identity crisis for me, and I didn't have to deal with that. There was two years of no games while I was there, but they did play in basketball a few times, and I have no problem admitting I absolutely loved Aggie basketball with a passion. It was so freaking fun. And so, yes, they didn't really have a shot. I mean, you get a shot at the tournament like everybody does if you win your conference, but saying we're going to get a national championship, it's a bit of a stretch at Utah State. But those games and that environment and that atmosphere and chasing those Big West championships, I had the time of my life. I mean, I I didn't walk around every day saying, yeah, we're going to go watch a basketball game, but it's just the Big West. I mean, you you don't really think about it like that day in, day out. I absolutely love the environment. I love the the passion there. It wasn't until a few years down the road that I kind of felt a growing divide between me and the identity of the uh, Utah State student section. And since then, I've emotionally distanced myself from Aggie athletics, but still a tiny, tiny soft spot in my heart for them. Okay, I can get with that. Um, To me, to answer that question for me, similar how your roots were started when your dad went to school there. My dad grew up a BYU fan because my grandfather played basketball for BYU. And so my dad grew up a BYU fan. However, in high school, my dad walked on basketball at the U and then he met my mother there at the U um, and they dated and then we we grew up by Shriners Hospital so literally just overlooking the campus and so that's how I became a Utah fan that's the reason I'm a Utah fan however my earliest memory of something that cemented it was the 1988 BYU Utah game I was seven at the time that's the oldest memory I have is where Utah and Scott Mitchell obliterated BYU. It had been years and years since we beat them. Similar how it is now, one side just dominated the rivalry, right? BYU dominated in the 70s and 80s. That's the way it was. And I grew up in in a ward in this neighborhood with a lot of BYU fans. I was one of the few Utah fans. And we played um, in 1988. Scott Mitchell just went nuts and we won 50 something I believe to set to 20 something I can't remember but I remember feeling so much pride that my team that always loses to these big guys from Provo finally pulled it off and I remember just thinking so how just happy I was and that was the earliest memory I have of something where I just felt passion for it man and it was it was fun I yeah. remember the student section at Utah wore um cuz that was right before Ty Detmer became huge right that was I think he was a freshman they wore mm paper ties that said eat this tie or something like you know to like to like whatever anyway that, yeah. that that's the point in my life where i remember man i love sports this is freaking awesome this is awesome being in this environment with people yeah. are going freaking nuts and cheering for the same thing i am and you feel the sense of pride and man that was awesome so yes to answer your question my man that was the first time where i i, I felt passion for my team that's awesome cool yeah, thank you, Andrew Zog. Great guy, friend of the program. Give him a follow, at Zogute, Z-O-G. His last name isn't spelled Zog that way, but that's his handle, Z-O-G-Ute. Great guy. Um, yep. Yeah, let's talk about, you know, uh, should we preview this week? Should we go over? Actually, one thing I want to touch on on Western Kentucky, not very much, but cool moment, two things to uh, to bring up from them. Number one, 
The fact that this matchup came about because of a Twitter fan poll for best mascot, I think is one of the coolest things in all of sport. Is it came down to, so it was uh, some podcast or some uh, Fox Sports radio or whatever put this out there and said, all right, here's the 64 best fans or 32 best uh, mascots in the, in the country. Yeah. And, uh, and they left out Cosmo, who's been viral several times the last few years. And they left out the Western Kentucky like grimace or whatever he is. He's like a red grimace. I don't even know what he is. I still he, he totally he's a hilltopper. That's their, I don't know what he's that a hilltop, is. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's basically and, a grimace. Yeah, and he's cool. But they left him. Out. And so the fans of both teams were like, "You can't have a contest without this." And so so the, there was so many responses. They were like, "All right, play in game." And so they added both Cosmo and Grim, Red Grimace. I don't know his name as an afterthought. Who both made it all the way to the final and faced each other. And it was like then there's a big controversy about his BYU buying votes or not because the numbers shifted late <laughs> this whole stupid thing I, I i think cosmo won but i don't know for sure who he won if he won or not but somebody on twitter was like hey we got to get a matchup with these guys so the mascots can see each other and can dance off and can do all that stuff so tom homo's tagged in it he gets involved talking to their athletic director and lo and behold a pandemic strikes we need games this one materializes and i think that's, that's one of funny. the coolest things if you think that's you as funny, a fan man. have no say you're wrong you got to get involved hey. you got to vote for your mascot Stuff like this can no happen. No one, no one handles a online poll better than BYU fans. <laughs> that is a fact. Did you see today? It was. I think it was today. There's a Nissan Heisman House, whatever uh, Heisman candidate fan poll that you have to go to their website. It's not even a Twitter poll. And there's like the top ten candidates or something like that. Zach Wilson has over seventy percent of the vote right now, and I am here for it. I love it. There's you no way. Me, he's great. You guys thrive in that situation. Oh, you man, guys thrive so, in that situation for it sure. It is awesome. Okay, uh, last last uh, Western Kentucky thing you're saying? Yeah, number two thought, and I love this, and you'll appreciate this about this team. The picture of Isaiah Kafusi and uh, uh, crap, I can't remember who the other player was. He grabbed someone else, was like, "Hey, we got to go give this guy a Book of Mormon." And so they took a Mason photo. Wake. What's that? Mason Wake. Mason Wake. Okay. Yeah, they showed up and they gave this guy a Book of Mormon. And then uh, as people are like, hey, how'd this come about? It turns out that the whole game, this same guy and another guy were just asking doctrinal questions about what members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe. And so all That's game, funny. between the play, between tackles, okay, well, what about the guy? I, you know, I don't know what the questions were, but they're asking doctrinal questions. And so after the game, they're like, hey, here you go. You can read this and learn more about it. It was like, you just so want to... You, you want to hug the program for something like that, right? Like, this they is re, the did priority. They the, did they recite the first vision at halftime? Like, I think, I think they did. The <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. It's funny, got, too, yeah, because awesome. it's a game that you'd say, watching the game, you know, what you and I see is the personal fouls, the targeting penalties, that brutal face masking, and say, man, what a bunch of, like, you know, cheap shot. You, you wouldn't have very kind feelings about the opponent. But then to have people open up and say, oh, yeah, he was asking us about our, our beliefs all game. It's like, man, that is cool. There's like a lot of that. That's awesome. You know, you don't see flags thrown for asking about God. And it'd be nice if we did because we'd be like, oh, man, what a fun game. What a fun opportunity. The green flag's out. Another question about <laughs> God. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. So let's let's jump into preview. Let's let's do a little youths first since we've been talking since you know we haven't talked about BYU for a long time. Absolutely. Um, so we do have our we do have our opener this Saturday. The depth chart was released today. Just a couple quick things that um, stood out. I already knew the defense was young, but to see the entire secondary, starting secondary has two true freshmen, two true sophomores who've never started, and a senior. That's it, never started. This is Arizona or Utah? 
No, Utah. Utah. Utah secondary. Okay. Two true freshmen, two true sophomores that have never started a game, and one senior that's never started. Zero starts among our, our three cornerbacks and two safeties. Zero. Um, and uh, so they're jumping right in. Of course, the, I, we've talked about before, they're highly rated dude, like Clark Phillips, that Ohio State commit. Yes, he's highly rated, but dude... That's that's an eye opener just to see how young they are, right? Like, Absolutely. This year is going to hopefully pay dividends because it doesn't count eligibility wise. If you get seven games in, that's a win as it is. So, um, so that's that's a little frightening is seeing just how inexperienced the defense is. We've relied on. I mean, you go from last year where literally all five of our secondary members are in the NFL right now, three of them mm-hmm. starting. You know, to uh, to to now zero starts and a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. So they're going to have their lumps, man. And uh, and so we're going to rely, which sounds weird, rely on our offense this year to carry the load versus defense. John Wilner from the San Diego or the San Jose Mercury Times, he's kind of a Pac-12 writer. He put out a preseason Pac-12 uh, team, and not one single Ute on the first or second team defense, which has never happened. Really? Not a single Ute on defense. And, wow. And that's coming from last year where we had five first-teamers. Yeah. Literally in the Pac-12, five first-teamers on defense. And to go from that to not a single one on the on the first two teams, uh, it's it's bizarre. But conversely, there's four Utes on the first on the first two teams on offense. Covey, Keithy, Orlando Amana, so three first-teamers, then a second-teamer um, with uh, Nick Ford. So there's a lot more guys on the offense, so we're going to have to rely on the offense. And it's a perfect game to start because Arizona sucks. Their defense sucks. Um, they had their two best defenders transferred when it looked like the Pac-12 wasn't going to play. They had a linebacker named Tony Fields who transferred, uh, I think, to West Virginia, and then a linebacker named Colin Schooler who transferred to Texas. Right, so they lose their two best players anyway. So their defense, which is already subpar, is got loses their two best players. So I expect us to run up and down the field because we got a ton of offense back. Even starting a new quarterback, we got a ton of offense back. So I expect a high-scoring game. I'm going to predict, and it depends on the weather because I've seen rain, like heavy rain, which sucks because it's 70 degrees all week here, and then Saturday our first game it's going to downpour. But I predict something like a 45 to 27. To, or to 30 win. And for Utah defense to give up 30, that's crazy, man. But it, it could happen. So I'm going to say 45 to 30. 44 to 30, Utah wins. I love it. Checking on the numbers, you're absolutely right. Arizona is the second weakest team you'll play all year. Only Colorado is worse. And they are rated right there next to Louisiana Tech. So this is like your Louisiana Tech game, uh, which is good to start with, you know. But you, you've got me, you've got me just crying here because – could you imagine Zach Wilson? I mean, this he really is, he may be the most accurate passer BYU has ever had, which is saying something I know because of all the guys that BYU has put in the NFL, but his numbers downfield, he's completing 80% on 20 plus yards, like passes that go through the air 20 yards. He's 80%, which just blows my mind. You take a talent like that and say, we're going to put him against four guys in the secondary who've never started an NCAA game. I don't care about the recruit, like the recruit, that's awesome. Recruiting means potential. That's high schoolers. Can you imagine putting him against four high schoolers? And you're going to kill uh, me for well, saying BYU would destroy him because they wouldn't because they never have. Utah would find a way to win. But I want it. I want it, you know? Ah, oh, shoot. That's a shame. You hate to see it. You hate to see it, man. You hate to see it. That, Honestly. That's, what's, that's the double-edged sword for you. Is it is. Because he is dominating this lesser competition, which what he wasn't supposed to play, because he's dominating, he's probably going to leave after this year. You for know? sure. Which he should. 
I, I, I'm all for any player that can make money while you can, you do it because this game yeah. is unforgiving. The careers are short. So, but that's the double-edged sword is because he's doing so well, he's probably going to leave and you'll never get to see him uh, have a chance to ha- take down his 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 childhood idolized team. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen though. The secondary has always been, I mean, linebacker, secondary, D-line, of those, uh, to me, the secondary is not the weakness. And, and I really, when you look at a Utah defense, there's no weakness. They're like the perfect defense. But secondary has been putting guy after guy after guy into the league. Uh, they've been coached before he was defensive coordinator. Scally was hands-on over the safeties, secondary. And, I mean, they've just been phenomenal. So I don't care that there are uh, no starts between them. You give them two, three games, they're going to be elite. Like, I believe exactly. in Utah secondary. Yep. Uh, by the end of the year, that's the thing that's beautiful, is by the end of the year, they will be good. And they get a start all over next year as freshmen again, but yeah. with eight games under their belt, yeah. which is huge. Um, and so that's that's the thing is on our two deep – I mean, we're starting three three f- true freshmen on defense. Um, Chase, Han- Chase Hansen. Uh, <laughs> Nate Ritchie, who's like a Chase Hansen – Clone, you know, he went to the same school. He's built like him. Chase or Nate Ritchie at, at safety, Clark Phillips at uh, at cornerback, and oh, actually, we're not Van Fillinger. I, I mentioned he's on the two deep at defense, and we're start, not starting him. But it's so young. You give them eight games. You give them Coach Scally. You give them Coach Shaw and Coach Whittingham to coach them up next year. It's going to set up huge for next year because yeah. everybody comes back, even the seniors if they want to, they come back, right? Because the the way this yeah. works, this unless they so. shine so brightly in this limited schedule yes. that they find themselves with the spotlight yes. and they break your heart for the NFL, and you find yourself yes. saying, "What? We got to reload now." There, there are a couple guys I, I, wor- I worry about that happening to. Yeah. Devin Lloyd, our linebacker, he's a junior. He's he's probably one of the best. Li- I mean, he's, he's so underrated. He filled in last year because we had the Penn State transfer, Manny Bowen, who quit right before the season started. Mm-hmm. And so he came in, and he was all Pac-12 level. And then Brant Keithy, our tight end, who came out of nowhere to be like the best tight end in the Pac-12, right? He could potentially leave after this year. And then one or two offensive linemen. So yeah, there's there's three or four guys where it could happen. They they could pull a Zach Wilson and just shine and then bounce. Which I like I said, I hate it because I look back at players that left early all the time, like Steve Savoy. Man, I wish he would have stayed. Jake Murphy. Man, I wish he would have stayed. All these players that have left early, but it's it's their life, man. You go make your money when you can. Do we do we have some answers to that follow up assignment that we had asked earlier? So we, it, it, those of you recall, two episodes ago we were speculating. Sometimes athletes will get an insurance policy if they decide to come back another year when otherwise they would have had a good draft spot. And so, kind of speculating on if Zach Wilson thinks that he can, you know, in the draft when it's not going to be Justin Fields and not going to be Trevor Lawrence. Assuming Justin Fields goes, I don't think he's a senior yet. But assuming all these other stud quarterbacks go after this year, he may look at it and say, man, I might be the first overall drafted quarterback if I come back one more year. But that's a little bit of a risk. So uh, you've got a guy that has some insight on that thought process, right? Yes, I I am bestest Twitter buddies with David Cantor, who is an NFL agent, and he's, he's Eric Weddle's agent. And so I texted him and I asked him, I was like, hey, how often do players who come back for their senior year um, get insurance to cover themselves? And he said, if they are a top two round pick, almost always they get okay. insurance if they come back. Meaning um, I'm trying said, to get into the top two rounds by coming back? It, like, it, 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 No, if they're graded a top two round pick and yeah. they still decide to come back, almost oh. always they get insurance. Okay. Um, and he said the way, where it is, like someone that comes out of nowhere, like Zach Wilson, who was a sophomore, you didn't expect him to have a, and, you know, he probably didn't do it, but he could. 
for next yeah. year if you want him to come back. Um, but he said the advice he gives those guys every time is go declare and go because you just got to. I mean, it's it's dude. You think about it. There's 53 spots on a roster. Right. That's it. And there's only 32 teams, and yet the college seniors pump out hundreds of seniors a year, right? Yeah. And so, and then you already have your players coming back. So realistically, there's like 10 new spots on a team each year you got to take. If you think you're good enough, if you're getting projected now to be a high draft pick, you go. Dang it, you go. Yeah. You go. That you just do. You can bet on yourself. A lot of times it pays off, but the fact is. You just you you go and it's hot. You just have to. The thing that, that would be hard, and it's interesting because you're already seeing, and this is another thing that's kind of uh, stoking our ego a little bit here, is you see fan bases in the NFL photoshopping Zach Wilson into a Vikings jersey or a Chicago Bears jersey or a Patriots jersey. There are fans of NFL teams out there that want him now. Now they're just fans, and I'm not going to be like, look, this is why we're good. You know, they're just fans being fans. He would likely be a first rounder, uh, but he's not going to be the first quarterback. You know, he's not. And so th- that's what I would want to know is, is the price jump, the signing bonus, you know, depending on being the first overall quarterback or a top 10 pick or something like that, is that enough incentive to say, yeah, I'm going to risk it and hedge my bet by insuring myself? You know? Now, yeah, I mean, it's, he, a, it's a big risk. I, I, it's a I big risk. But I, he, I, look at, I look at that where it's like, okay, I'm the fifth best quarterback. I want to be the first. There's not much room to go between five and one. There's four spots, but there's a hell of a lot more way to go from five down to 200. <laughs> there you is, know? there is. And and that's why it really has to be his decision. He either believes in himself that he's legit or he's been paying too much attention to the, the fans of Boise State and Utah State and Utah that say, of course he's doing that. Everybody would do that good. Anybody could do that, you know? If he doesn't believe in himself, he's going to go. And, and, and he may, and I'm not saying if he goes, that's the reason why. But I'm just saying if he in his heart of hearts is like, nah, this is a fluke. I can't believe they're talking about me this much. He's going to go. Well, not, not, I mean, you say he's competitive and he thinks he can prove himself. Maybe he thinks, I'm going to go and I'm going to outwork Trevor Lawrence and I'm going to be the number one pick this year. Yeah, you know? that's true. And it's to why, say he, right. to say he doesn't think he could do that this year, right? I, I don't want to say that would be the only reason he would go. He's going to go, if he goes, he goes for good reasons. But if he goes and kind of just burns out, spins out, finds himself working like in a sales company in three years, you know, it'd be like, well, good thing I win. I get a signing bonus. That's a good head start in life. But no, I, I don't. From what I've seen of this, that's absolutely not the case. I think he is a competitor. I think he believes in himself more than anybody else believes in him. And, and I really think that could fuel him one direction or the other. That he's going to say, I'm going to go prove to everybody I'm going to be you know, rookie of the year, my freshman or rookie year, or I'm going to come back. I'm going to beat Utah. I'm going to be the number one overall pick, and I'm going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, and those are all, I believe, within his reach, you know, going one direction have, have or the other. Have you? Have you heard in, within your circles at all if if there's if if he's leaning one school of thought or another? You know, I'd be surprised if anything on that leaked and got out. Now that being said, we did just hear somebody starting some rumblings that Matt Bushman had said to somebody that he's not coming back. Now he's a little bit older, uh, injury. You know, he was highly rated before coming back for this year. And then had a you know devastating injury in practice right before the first game, and so uh, wouldn't Plus, shock. He me served to see. a mission too, right? He served I a mission so. too, right? Yeah, so he's, I he's think older anyway. Yeah, he's kind of the age where he's yeah getting another year of BYU football isn't necessarily going to make him more appealing than he already is. 
So so that one I believe, but that's just a rumor. I there haven't been any rumors. Likely there will be there probably will be because we're spending so much time talking about it. But I think he's gonna keep that one really close to the chest. It's a distraction, especially a week like this. You know, maybe you get past the San Diego State game and you, and he starts looking and leaning and, and putting out feelers, but I I wouldn't be at all surprised if his camp is absolutely radio silent on this until it's time to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so let's let's dive into the BYU game that your preview this weekend. What are you what are you thinking? Oh man, I am I am excited. I ran some numbers because I had some time in between patients today. Uh, Boise State is legit. So Utah State has last won in Boise in 1987, and Utah State, despite having a couple of really good seasons, is one and 17 in their last 18 matchups with Boise State. Utah last won. In Boise State, the very first year that they had blue we can't, turf, we can't talk. They never, they don't play there enough to make this a trend, man. They, they no, haven't no, no, played no. there since two thousand what? Ni- or nineteen ninety eight, right? Well, yeah, but the the last time they won in Boise State, because I wanted to open up with nobody has ever won in Boise State, but Utah State and Utah both have. But we got to go way oh. back. We got to go back to eighty six, <laughs> the year that Boise State made the jump to Division one, and the year they they installed their blue turf. Utah got a win there. Um, since then, Utah has not won against Boise anywhere. I think it's like three games straight that, that Boise has won, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I will just say, I I hate that stat because it's, well, yeah, um, it's small sample size. It's the, it's the same thing Utah, what they say about USC. Utah hasn't won in USC since 1908. Well, dude, we've had five (laughs) games at at USC since 1908. Right. Let's, let's quit acting like it's a... 100-year drought. I hate that. Here's the thing that sucks. Ugh. Both Utah and Utah State have played Boise State a lot more than BYU has. So BYU has never won in Boise State. And they've had a few chances lately, but uh, but it's been Oh, they've a while. never won there? No, never. They've, they've lost by one point twice on that. So total of 10 games. Boise State has won seven. BYU has won three. Most of them coming... Uh, let's see. They played once in 2003, and that game... So that was a terrible game. That one sucked, too. Um and then uh, since then, I think they re- they kind of tried to make this a rivalry when BYU win independence. So they started playing in 2013. So since then, uh, BYU won in Provo. Then Boise State won there. BYU won in Provo next. And then it was uh, three years in a row of Boise State winning. And then BYU got them last year. Um, but kind of what I was doing in my research, they are a legit team. It is almost impossible to win in Boise State. There's something like 99%. They are actually the number one in all of college football, winningest team that there is. Their uh, winning percentage puts them at first in that. Now, that being said, their young program, their history only goes back to the 80s. Uh, and and it, all of us say that, like, making fun of each other. Oh, yeah, there was no such thing before the 80s. They legitimately didn't have a program before the 80s. Uh, but they've dominated since they made that Division One jump. Uh, if you go back the past 10 years, three times they've been left out of the AP Top 25 end-of-season poll. They, uh, their best finish was number seven, and then uh, they've been number eight, number 18, number 16, 22, 23, 22 again, or 23 again, and then three times they missed it. So this is a legit team. You know, this is one that they managed to get it done. They managed it. They're nationally respected. Uh, their quarterback situation, they had a really good quarterback in Hank Bachmeyer who missed last week because of what we think is coronavirus. They didn't, I don't know if they actually confirmed. They said, 
Uh, they have one player that will miss the game due to coronavirus, and then he missed the game and reasons they didn't say. So maybe he didn't sign the HIPAA release or something like that, um, but he didn't show up. However, Sears, their quarterback, is a, another P5 prestigious program transfer that we're facing. Yep. You, you look at the recruiting profile, this guy is a USC quarterback, and he looked impressive. I saw just yeah, enough Utah. for me to get nervous. Utah was in on him, but it came down to Utah and USC. We thought we had him. And then he actually committed to Duke, <clears throat> which was odd, and uh-huh. then was committed to Duke for a year, but then decided to decommit and open up again. And he went to and to USC, and he was the backup to JT Daniels last year and Keaton Slovis, so he bounced. And I was surprised that he ended up in Boise. I didn't know where he went, but, yeah, he's he was a he's a good quarterback. He throws a good ball. For sure. Have you heard anything about their running back? I heard their their stud running back got injured. George Halani. I don't is he gonna be at the game, you know? Yeah, I, I saw just enough to see that he was injured. I don't I actually don't know if he'll be uh he'll be ready for game time. Um yeah, that'll be a good thing to find out. Uh maybe check us out on Twitter and we'll put the answer there in a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> or, so what's uh, what's your prediction then? Walk me well, through your prediction. Here's here's what I like. So so that's all setting up this uh intimidating, unconquerable, like this is gonna be a tough place. Uh that being said, we mentioned last week, former player said Boise State was the loudest place he'd ever played. I, I don't think they're going to have any fans. If they've made an announcement of some fans, yeah, yeah okay. As I say, even if they did, it'll be limited. No fans at all. That neutralizes a huge part of their home field advantage. The only other things you've got is temperature and the stupid blue turf. Uh, and this player said the turf doesn't actually matter. It matters when you're watching on TV. It's annoying. We don't like it. But it's not really a factor in the game because you can see people. Like you're not like, oh man, that guy was invisible. I didn't see him. So blue <laughs> turf, I don't think will be an advantage. I think the opposite is going to be true. BYU is going to be hungry to win for the first time ever on the blue turf. So I think that fuels them. And then the other thing we'd mentioned a few weeks ago, the man who wears prove them wrong on his wrist, he lost the game. And I, I hate saying that because you lose and you win as a team. But seeing it through his point of view, through his eyes. I think he blames himself for the loss two years ago. And it came down to the final play. Time expired. He didn't get in the end zone. It was as close as a game could possibly be. And it lost. And the ball was in his hands as time expired. So I think he's going to be driven to prove them wrong. Because likely after that game, when he lost in Boise, there were probably voices in his head saying, you picked the wrong team. You should have come here. Because he was committed. He was a Boise State commit. So I think he is hungry to prove them wrong, to show up, to win in Boise. And then that's one more thing he can check off his list before going to the NFL. Okay. that's a, Those are a lot of good points. So what's your prediction then? Uh, I'm going to say BYU by three touchdowns. They're going to they're going to just they're going <laughs> to wow. blow the doors off of it because they're going to be ready. Now here's the other we got to talk about one more factor going into the game. Uh, but before we get to that, I'm going to say I just I think it's going to be a big win because I think this BYU identity. Look at every year under Kalani Sataki, they've got one marquee win to hang their hat on. They beat USC, they beat Wisconsin. I mean they've they've gone up against good teams in good environments and and they've performed. And I think this is their time to do that this year. Now, maybe they have a little bit of a disadvantage, the fact that they don't have as many practices. They, uh, Of course, they take Sunday off because they're BYU. They practice today. I'd imagine they're practicing right now. Tomorrow, uh, Election Day, is an NCAA-mandated no-practice day. So it's, it's on the players to do their own workouts, to do their own. You can't have contact between the coaches and the players. Then you got Thursday, uh, or no, sorry, then you got Wednesday. Both teams will practice Wednesday. Then Thursday, Boise State gets to practice while BYU has a travel day. So going in the short week, BYU, or Boise State has four practices. BYU only has two practices, which is a huge disadvantage, right? However, 
I feel like so much of this BYU team's identity is mental. It's not that they're going to be like, oh, I didn't get enough of this reps in or those reps in. It's the mental. And they're mentally, they're going to be prepared. I don't think, I think the lack of practices, you might see some false starts. You might see some sloppy mistakes. And so if we see a stupid false start, we're like, oh, we don't do that all year. Why are we doing that now? Two practices in a week. That might be why, that we're just not quite there. However, mentally, we're going to be there. I don't think it's going to be close. I think BYU wins. I think they win big. I think they win big enough to move farther up further up, however you want to say it, in the AP poll. And uh, this is going to be something that we will look back on and say, yes, this was the most significant game since 1984. Wow, okay, good. But uh, looking forward to it. Okay, do we have any other last questions from the mailbag before we uh, before we, we do. say bid the listeners adieu? We do. This is one fight. Well, one more thought. Man, this season reminds me a lot of 1995. We'd mentioned that earlier. Uh Back in the, uh, it was either, I think that was the end of the whack. Uh, BYU really only had uh, Wyoming to play that was also in the top 25, which is like the Boise State this week. And they did well, and they, they were something like seventh going into it. And rather than getting a real prestigious, I mean, the Cotton Bowl is not bad, but they didn't get a good opponent. Kansas State was something like 17th maybe. And uh, it came down to the wire. It was a close game. But, man, this, this year sure, sure feels like that year. we got weak opponents, but we're doing what we're supposed to do. And it may come down to one game in the regular season and one bowl game. And you know what? That was a heck of a season. I really like that season. So I, I'll take it. Like I've said in the past, man, we thought we weren't even going to get any football. Take yeah. what you can get this year, right? Take what you can get. And Gosh, I just hope, not to get political, but I freaking hope this virus goes away for next year. Because for I sure. do not want another year of not being at games. I miss the smell of the corn dogs cooking right outside my portal. And, yeah. you know, the, the the heat beating down. And just, I miss that. Anyway. All right. So, uh, okay. We will follow. It'll be interesting to see next week. Finally, next week, I'll have a game to break down after eight freaking BYU games. That's so weird still to think about. Eight games. That's two-thirds of a season you've played. Yeah. And, and we haven't even laced up. You have two games left after this one. I mean, I mean, lay stuff. By the time you finish this Boise game, depending on what happens with, you know, obviously you could add more games, but you'll have two games left, and yeah. we still haven't kicked off yet. That's crazy. I know. It's this whole that we might be talking all Utah the last several weeks of this, and that's fine. Which actually, you know? that brings up one last point I wanted to bring up that I forgot about. Yeah. That could be a detriment to you guys. If you if you enter the clubhouse early, you know, yeah. and you finish 9-0 and or 10-0 and or whatever, and then you got three or four weeks where... You know, the the, the the second place team in the SEC, Georgia, is rolling through their schedule, gaining on you. You know, that could be a detriment. I think I think Tom needs to do what he can to get another game, couple Ab- games. Absolutely. I agree. And and you see it right now. You know, the the what happened to Utah's rankings between last week and this week, despite them not playing and none of their opponents playing, they drop down. When you don't play, you drop down. And so someone's going to be impressive. Someone's going to pass them. I mean, they may get as high as five. You know, and then if they just sit there for three or four weeks and everybody else is playing and not only playing, but playing late into the year, they might drop down to 10 again, you know, but uh, honestly, I'll take it because truly in my heart of hearts, I think they're probably a number 20 team, you know. Okay. So questions. What are the last couple questions? Yeah. Final question. This comes from participation trophy who is his handle is at cycling Ute friend of the program. His question is a technical question, which I'm sure there's probably a few more listeners who are curious about this. How do we put the podcast together? How do, how do we do this? Well, I get my jet, my private jet. I fly <laughs> up to Fairbanks after work. Uh, I, pre- I do show prep on the flight. Uh, <laughs> Just we like Zach the, Wilson. We, we meet at the studio at the airport that they've built for us. 
just for this podcast. That's Specialized Studio. We hammer out there. I get some snacks and I fly home. <laughs> Sweet. It's good to well, see you. Well, actually, again. no. You, you need actually, it. What, no what's, this, uh, what's this new deodorant you're wearing? It's yeah. quite nice. It's sw- it's swagger by uh, Old Spice. By, um, Old Spice. Anyway, <laughs> nice. to answer your question, what Benjamin and I do, we both flip open our laptops. I have a program on mine called Audacity. Yours is whatever it's called. Rock and then band. we FaceTime each other. Yeah, FaceTime each other, and we wear headphones. So we don't, you know, feedback through each other's headphones, or whatever. We hit record at the same time. And we just FaceTime and chat like this. Go yeah. on for an hour and 23 minutes already. Yeah. The, holy cow. I think that's why my wife just showed up here at work. Um, so one of the things that's, uh, that maybe most people don't realize is if, if I'm recording his phone call and my live audio, then it's going to sound like he's on the phone. So he's sending me his original track. And so I'm putting it, I'm splicing it together in post next to my original track. So to you, both of us are in the room with you. You know, it sounds a little bit more clear. And the reason we have headphones is because now my microphone is not picking up what he's saying into my ears. His microphone isn't hearing what I'm saying into his ears right now. So he's in a quiet room. I'm in a quiet room. You take two conversations where it seems like we're just crazy because we're talking to ourselves and you splice them together and you got a podcast. So, uh, yeah, simple uh, garage band, you know, free program if you have a, a MacBook. To me, I'll say this too. If you're thinking about, because I welcome any and all podcasts. I, I don't, we don't make money off this. We just do this for fun. So we are not competitive with other, I know there's other podcasts out there and I, I wish them all, all the success in the world because this isn't how we feed our families. So, you know, we're not trying to be super aggressive in the podcast market. However, um, if you're trying to start one up, it's pretty simple. You get a decent microphone from Amazon. Uh, I think I dropped maybe 50 bucks on mine, you know? And uh, that's about where yours is, right? Yeah, right yeah. about there. Yeah. And then you get some headphones, you get your laptop. To me, the biggest advantage this year is I invested a lot of money in my laptop, and I did it for my photography because I was tired of waiting for photos to, to be edited or to import or to export. So I said, all right, forget it. I'm, I'm done having a uh, kind of low-end laptop. So I got a really fast, lightning-fast laptop. So, And I, one of the secondary benefits of that is when I'm putting two pretty big audio files next to each other, I'm doing it in probably a third the time it used to take me. So probably three minutes post-production, we can upload it to anchor.fm, which is free to sign up for, easy to use, and boom, it's good to go. Bang. Okay, actually, there was one last question that you didn't get to. Oh, yes, Jay there was. Catch. Jake, oh, Cash. yeah, you're right. I didn't write that one down. Yeah, he said, does Utah join BYU in the rankings with a win this week? And you know what? My answer is I don't know because I don't know how how, how um, these pollsters are doing it. I know there's several that are, are ranking teams that haven't played. You know, the Utah, I mean, Oregon, USC, they haven't played and they're ranked, right? But there's yeah. also several like Brett McMurphy. He said it. A few others say I haven't ranked anybody that hasn't played yet, right? Yeah. And we do know this. We do know the, the initial AP poll that came out at the start of the season had Utah at number 22. Mm-hmm. Even despite all our losses, so I think if we can have a big win, I think we could jump in. But I don't know. Maybe people will still punish teams for only having one game. It's every that's the problem is there's no uniform system. It's like you just rank them and people do how they feel based on what their criteria meets their needs. You know, for sure. I, to me, it all comes down to the style with which they beat them. If it's an ugly game, I mean, you talked about the weather being a factor. If we've got like both teams have four fumbles, no. 
you know, you don't get any credit for winning that game. But if if Utah can win and win big and look good doing it, absolutely, I'd put them right at twenty. I, you know, I'd jung, I'd put them right where we thought they would be and say, yes, this is the team that we thought would show up. So it all depends on the style, in my opinion. Interesting. Well, yeah. it'll be a, a a very exciting weekend for both of us. For I got months, one more. Right? I got one more awesome thing for those of you that stuck with us our whole episode. This is your reward for you. I've got a guy I know who was a teenager. He was a seminary student of mine for several years, and then he's since graduated and got a job with the Alaska Railroad. And I was just talking with him recently. This is something most people have no clue that is a thing that happens. They hit moose with their trains like crazy. He said his record for one night... Just just doing his train. So he's working for the railroad. He's on the trains as a conductor. And uh, his train going south hit 13 moose. Hit and killed 13 moose on the track. Meanwhile, the train coming north hit 12. So as a team, they killed 25 freaking moose in one night. And that just blew my mind. I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. shocking. Yeah. the, the mo- I mean, you can't do it. You're in a train. What are you going to do? You honk at it, but it's a moose. It's going to look at you Dude, honking at it crazy. like, what, what are you doing? And so it just, the train hits the moose. That happens in a crazy amount. I think we have something like uh, 700,000 moose. Uh, 170,000. I'll look up the numbers. We have plenty of moose in this state. So, you know, from a, from a numbers management standpoint, you know, if you're not emotionally invested in the life of the moose, it's not a big deal to lose 25 like that in a night. <laughs> and that's, a, that's, that's his record. That's like the record. That's the all-time high. Not that they're trying to. You can't try to hit it or not hit it. You're on a yeah. train, you know, so yeah. just keeping track. And then I asked him what they do with the meat because when, when people hit a moose in a car up here, you call it in and somebody, like, people are on a waiting list to go harvest the meat out of it because they're easy to get to because it's right there next to the road. Well, I asked him, I was like, well, what do they do? do like, do people go show up and harvest that moose that's been hit by a train? He said, if it's easily accessible and people are nearby, like it's either near a village or near a road, they'll call it in and someone will come get the meat out of the moose. But he said, if they're in the middle of nowhere and you can't get to that spot, they just they just leave it. That's just what happens. That's the end of the story. Huh. Interesting. That's crazy, man. That's that's a, that's a bonus nugget no one would have counted on. Yes. And you you gave that to them an hour and a half in after they waited for us. So <laughs> that's we your appreciate reward. all Instant you guys reward. joining. Yeah, we appreciate you joining. Next week, we can't wait to follow up with all this information. It's going to be awesome. Until then, go Utes. <laughs> go Cougs. <laughs>